Hey there, listeners. It's Rod from Cincinnati Children's. Have you downloaded the new version of the Stay Current Pediatric Surgery app? It's in the Apple App Store. It's in the Google Play Store. We got a lot of cool features. And if you're listening to a podcast on anything other than the app, that's okay. Just know that you're missing out on images, guidelines, links to articles. All of that we give you in the app. So download it today. Stay current. Pediatric surgery. But until then, enjoy the episode. cervical spine clearance. It's easier said than done, especially in the pediatric patient. I mean, think of those patients who are less than three years old, infants, toddlers who show up in the trauma bay. You can't really get a reliable exam off of them. You can't really tell if they have distracting injuries based on what they can say or whether or not they can say anything at all. This clinical question was answered at our 2019 Pediatric Surgery Update Course. It's our annual virtual conference that we put on every year. We had a panel discuss cervical spine clearance guidelines, etc. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you some of our favorite sessions from previous update courses. If you love it, you can watch the whole update course on our website, globalcastmd.com. You can go back to all the way to like 2014, I think. So, Without further ado, enjoy the Update Course Rewind on Cervical Spine Clearance. All right, so we are going to talk about cervical spine clearance. That is Dr. Mira Kodigal. She's a pediatric surgeon at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. We'll start with the case because I think that's a nice way to get everybody thinking about things. Dr. Kodigal, I totally agree. So this is a two-year-old male restrained passenger in an MVC. The car was going about 60 miles an hour. There was significant intrusion of the vehicle on the passenger side. And you see this patient when they present to the trauma bay. They are crying loudly and moving all four extremities. Let's hear some vitals. The heart rate is 120, blood pressure is 98 over 65 with SATs of of 97% on room air. Um, There's some bruising on the abdomen and the forehead, but no other obvious injuries that you can tell. They they are in a C-collar, which was placed by EMS. So think to yourself, what would you do next? So what do you think? Do you get a CT, MRI, some x-rays? What's the answer? So I don't know that there's necessarily a right answer, but I think there's a couple options for things that are appropriate. Keep in mind, this is a two-year-old who's just screaming, crying. You can't really ask them any questions in the trauma bay. What would most pediatric surgeons do? I think a lot of times people would leave it in place and re-examine later, and you should be able to clinically clear that patient. I think for some patients, particularly when they have a high mechanism um, injury and you're concerned about whether or not they have you know, intracranial findings or abdominal findings, some people might get plain films before they before they remove the collar. But I, I think any of those are appropriate. Obviously, in a nor- neurologically normal kid, you don't need to jump to an MR. And what kind of injuries are we even looking for here? The data Is suggests it? that, you know, about 50% of the injuries in that age group under eight, right, are, are bony and about 50% are ligamentous or, you know, spinal cord injury without radiologic abnormality. Just to emphasize the point, if you can clinically clear the patient. That's Dr. Stephen Lee. He's a pediatric surgeon out at UCLA. That would be the best way to do it. Uh, This is a particularly difficult age group, but in older children particularly, the uh, mechanism of injury should not play a role in that. But keep in mind that in those patients who are really young, like this one who's two years old, 
The mechanisms of injury may have to play a role. High-speed NPCs, non-accidental trauma, if you still call it non-accidental trauma. We yeah. standardly include a C-spine film as part of our skeletal survey in children where you're concerned about non-accidental trauma. Yeah, so, so I just want to hear that again. That's Todd Ponsky, pediatric surgeon at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. In a suspected NAT. When we oh, get a skeletal... Which is not a thing. We, we changed that name, by the way. The name is now child abuse. It's not NAT anymore. It's like the CDC. That's Alex Givens, general surgery resident at the Cleveland Clinic. In the past year or so, like transitioned back over to calling it child abuse. So just to get back on track, because that whole topic deserves a podcast on its own. So remember, there's a two-year-old high-speed MVC. We are trying to figure out how to clear the C-spine in that kind of setting. I need help. Tell me how you clear your babies. So a lot, a lot of times people do just active motion. So watching them, seeing if they seem to splint. And don't force their neck. Obviously, that is concerning because it might cause an injury. So the panel seemed to agree. You take off the collar, kind of see what they do. Obviously, palpate along the midline. I was just going to say at our institution, the neurosurgeons are very bought into pediatric trauma. That's Dr. Elizabeth Byerly. She's a pediatric surgeon at Children's of Alabama. And they... We actually have a protocol. Any child three and under gets cleared by the neurosurgeons. Wow. That is such a cool protocol. But it brings up another issue is that every institution is kind of different. You need a protocol. You need some guideline that your institution follows. There was a recent study done by the, uh, it's an orthopedic group that looks at pediatric spine injury. And they found that 46% of places don't have a protocol for cervical spine clearance. And maybe some of that is due to the fact that it's just kind of rare. Cervical spine injury is not super common, obviously, in kids. It's about 1% to 2% of all pediatric traumas. Um, in older children, like we were just sort of talking about, they tend to follow adult patterns. They 70 to 80% of those injuries are bony. And then the younger patients are going to have ligamentous injuries or spinal cord injuries. 50% of kids less than or equal to 8 will have isolated fractures, but 50% will have ligamentous injury, dislocations, or spinal cord injury without radiologic abnormality or sclera, which is obviously a fun word to say. The location of the spinal injuries differs too. 60 to 80% of vertebral injuries in kids will be in their cervical spine compared to in adults. Because adults will have thoracic and lumbar spinal injuries instead. Keep in mind that the older pediatric patient, you can certainly use the Nexus criteria, the Canadian cervical spine clearance. Those guidelines are still appropriate in the older children, but where's the research going as far as the younger pediatric patient? So the AAST actually did a study to try to understand what are the things that are predictors of cervical spine injury and how can we think about clinical clearance in that younger population. If you're listening in the State Current Pediatric Surgery app, scroll down under the media player. I put a link to the article that she's talking about. So kids younger than three, um, they looked at over 12,000 kids who'd undergone blunt trauma. And then they tried to figure out the rate of cervical spine injury in that patient population. What do you think it was? Nice guess. No, it's lower. 0.6% of kids had some sort of cervical spine injury. And when they broke that data down even further, there were four independent risk factors that could predict when a patient was more likely to have a cervical spine injury. So, number one. GCS less than 14. Number two. A GCSI of one. Three. They were involved in a motor vehicle crash, so they actually included mechanism for those younger kids. And last but not least, number four. And then whether or not they were greater or equal to two years. Each factor gets a certain amount of points. You add those points up and 
patients who had zero to one points had a negative predictive value for having a C-spine injury of over 99%. So those kids don't need any imaging. Next. Two to four points need some clinician discretion. And then obviously the more points you have, five to eight, they recommend that you get some imaging. Now, is this rule perfect? No, there were five kids in the study who had a score less than two, but still had a cervical spine injury. But those patients had concurrent significant uh, traumatic injuries. So facial fractures, skull fracture, long bone fractures, and uh, loss of consciousness. And then the other thing, neck pain and splinting, which makes sense, right? We would not clinically clear patients who seem like they're in pain or have splinting. And so those patients need some imaging and would automatically sort of fall out of the no imaging category. Our Stay Current Pediatric Surgery Update course is both in-person and virtual, and people were online throwing questions out there. We have a question from the audience. That's Ray Hankey, general surgery resident out at Penn State University. Which single view x-ray should you get for the C-spine? Should it be AP or lateral? So when we do it for a skeletal, we include a lateral. That's the, that's the view that's in the skeletal survey. I mean, if you're concerned about a cervical spine injury, you probably should be getting two views, regardless of what guideline or anything that you're going by. Speaking of guidelines, where did the research end up going? Here's an article from Canada. Shortly after that AAST study was published, um, the Canadian Pediatric Surgery uh, Group got together and basically did develop some national consensus guidelines. And it's interesting because they broke the patients down by... Reliable and unreliable patients. If you're in the app, I'll give you a link to the entirety of the guidelines, but here's a quick breakdown. Does the patient have an abnormal neurologic exam? If they do, you obviously can't clinically clear them. Those patients need an MRI if they have an abnormal neurological exam. If they have a normal neurological exam and they are reliable, then sure, you could clear them right then and there, but... If you are unable to do that because they seem like they're in pain, they have tenderness, you know, any of the other findings that you might go down, you can either move towards x-rays or in the rare instance, CT. Obviously in the pediatric patient, we wouldn't jump to a CT. It'll probably be an MRI. All right, let's have a short summary. In the unreliable patient, you a lot of times can come back and re-examine those patients. So you leave them in a collar, you wait till they calm down or the anxiety passes or their you know, pain's under control or any of those pieces. And then you may be able to actually examine them and clinically clear them at that point. There you have it. One of our favorite sessions from the Pediatric Surgery Update course from 2019 with Dr. Mira Kodigal talking about cervical spine clearance. Did you love it as much as we did? If so, mark your calendars. August 27th, 2021, that is our next pediatric surgery update course. It will be virtual. You can tune in wherever in the world you are on your mobile device, on your computer. We're going to be interactive. Get ready to speak up. Get ready to use the chat feature. Get ready to follow us on social media so you can stay up to date with what's going on in the conference. Start discussions with them. The best way to start to dip your toes into the Stay Current Pediatric Surgery Update course is by downloading the Stay Current Pediatric Surgery app. It's in the Apple App Store. It's in the Google Play Store. Download it today. But until then, I'm Rod Gerardo from Cincinnati Children's. And remember, knowledge should be free.